This episode is sponsored by Environments for Humans, who do all kinds of cool online conferences. Check out the one coming up, Responsive Web Design Summit, at rwdsummit.com. Use the discount code NBSPTV for 20% off your ticket and go beyond Google searches and those incomplete, out-of-date online tutorials. Bring the experts to your desktop with the Responsive Web Design Summit, rwdsummit.com. Hello and welcome to Non-Breaking Space, which you can find online at nonbreakingspace.tv. Non-Breaking Space is a show where we'll seek out the best, brightest, and smartest folks on the web and talk to them about how and why they do what they do. Your hosts are Christopher Schmidt and Dave McFarlane, two web designers, authors, and trainers who have a passion for sharing knowledge about the web. I'm Chris from Canada, web designer and podcaster Christopher and Dave have invited along to help push the record button and keep everyone on track here on Non-Breaking Space. Our guest for this episode is Estelle Weil. Estelle started her professional life in architecture then managed teen health programs. In 2000, she took the natural step of becoming a web standardista. She has consulted for Apple, Yahoo, and Kodak Gallery, among others. Estelle provides CSS3, HTML5, and JavaScript tutorials and detailed grids of browser support in her site at standardista.com. She is the author of Mobile HTML5 and HTML5 and CSS3 for the real world. While not coding, she works in construction, dehippifying her 1960s throwback abode. So without further ado, I'll turn it over to Christopher and Dave and their conversation with Estelle. Hey, Chris. Hey, Dave. How's it going? Hi, Christopher. It's going well. Now, when we are seeking out the, the best and the brightest on the web, are we the best and the brightest? Or are we just finding the best and the brightest? Uh, we're finding it in order to become yeah. best we, and brightest ourselves. We're kind of the, the mediocre, not so bright, and then we're finding the best and brightest? Um, I just say like we're trying then how did I end up on this show? <laughs> <laughs> Without any further ado, let's welcome Estelle. Hi, Estelle. Hi, guys. <laughs> Thanks so much for being on the show. Definitely. Yeah. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah. Why don't we just start with, uh, you give a little history of yourself and how you got into this industry. I didn't know that you were started in architecture. I did my undergrad in architecture and then got a master's in public health. So I taught, um, I did three years, uh, basically I had one class left in architecture to graduate with a, a degree in architecture. And mm-hmm. I was like, you know what? Buildings are boring. I prefer interior <laughs> design. Um, and uh, was doing a lot of public health because uh, I'm a little bit, I'm not so young. And it was when HIV was uh, rampant, but no one was mm-hmm. talking about it yet. So I was doing like HIV education on my uh, college campus and Everyone's like, that's a gay disease. Um, that was, it was way long time ago. And um, I was doing the alcohol education policy and basically doing public health on my campus, but I didn't realize it was a profession. Um, and then when I was trying to find a job in that field, they were like, uh, you don't have enough life experience. I'm like, you need, you know, I need to become a drug addict to work in a drug facility. <laughs> um, so I ended up getting my master's and then running teen health programs for five years. And when I discovered that computers didn't get pregnant, unlike my teens, uh, I decided to uh, switch uh, careers. And, uh, you know, I started, I loved what I was doing for the first few years, but afterwards, what I loved really doing was being on my computer. Mm-hmm. So I realized you could get paid for being on the computer. <laughs> and I've been doing web development uh, ever since. So since 1999, pretty much 2000. Cool. Wow. This is great. We we talked to Ryan Ireland from Happy Cog earlier, and he has a master's in German literature. So it's, um, it's it totally seems relevant. like the path to web development is often quite circuitous. Uh, most of our guests don't seem to have started in, in, in a technical environment in school or even after school. It took a while before they got into the web. Me too, including me. Yeah. Well, interestingly, my master's degree is in health and social behavior. And the social behavior has actually come in pretty handy. <laughs> yes, yes, I bet. So um, it's been a fun. It's been a fun ride. So, in what ways has it been handy? Um, well, I have a basically the web. You either buy stuff, or you or you find information, or you interact socially. Um, but even when you're finding information, it's how do you interact with the page? So, I did a lot of studying uh, human interaction. 
uh, and human motivation when I was in, in graduate school. Cause it wasn't like, Oh, use contraception. They're like, Oh yeah. Okay, sure. It was, how do you convince them that it's important for someone to do something? So I did a lot of studying. How do you convince someone that to do what you want them to do? And so in terms of, I've, I'm not a UX designer, but I have a really good knack for UX. So it's actually been really helpful in, um, pushing back when appropriate and helping guide designers who don't have much UX experience too. And then developing sites for clients. It's been really helpful. Excellent. Well, you've got a lot of experience. You've written some books um, on mobile HTML5 and CSS3, and you speak at a lot of conferences. Um, why don't we start with just talking a little bit about um, CSS3? And I think a lot of our guests probably are a lot of our um, audience probably knows, you know, basics of CSS. Do you have some things that you could share about CSS3 that maybe are new or upcoming or that people don't commonly know about? I think what happens is people focus on the fun and exciting and don't go back to the basics. And the basics have really moved ahead. So mm -hmm. people are like, you know, people want me to teach animation and gradients right. um, and Flexbox. But I'm kind of like, do you guys know your selectors? And they're like, sure, we know our selectors. <laughs> and they know three selectors. They know the ID, the class, and the um, and element selectors. Right. But um, it's the basics that have really made CSS, it, you know, it's, it's kind of a boring topic, but it's actually <laughs> really exciting. You can pick any element on the page. So I do a selectors talk. Um, and all of my talks are open source. They're online. They're available on my GitHub account. Uh, which is estelle.github.com. So there's a selectors talk there, and I go into like the nitty-gritty of all the possible selectors. And you basically, you can target anything on your web page without um, hitting your content. So you don't have mm -hmm. to add a class or an ID to anything to, to target any element on your page. So whereas people don't think that's really exciting, to me that's mm -hmm. kind of the, the funnest part of CSS right. now. And then in terms of HTML5, everyone's like, yay, Canvas. And I'm kind of like, how many times are you going to put Canvas on your website? Whereas mm -hmm. how many right. times are you going to put a web form on your website? So um, web forms have become um, another boring topic, but they're really exciting. <laughs> um, you know, there's placeholders. You can actually, uh, instead of doing text input, you can actually talk into your browser. Um, so you don't need to use a keyboard. You can? To, yeah. Um, X WebKit speech on WebKit. Um, wow. Most people, you know, everyone's heard of Siri. Mm -hmm. But Android's had a similar, you know, being able to talk to your device mm -hmm. for a long time. Um, that's why there's the little microphone key on your keypad. Um, cool. So you need to put um, an attribute for any um, WebKit-based uh, browser. And you can not use the keypad, so that's really? kind of exciting. Yep. What's it? What's the attribute? It's X. Right now, it's a WebKit only, so it's mm -hmm. uh, called X dash WebKit dash speech. And you put that like on an input tag. Yep. And if you, you just look at in my GitHub account, there's a forms talk, and the last slide has it. So if you go to um, estelle.github.com/forms. And you go to the last slide, or maybe it's the last, second to last slide, because the last slide may say thank you or something like mm -hmm. that. Um, uh, it just has an example. And you do have to be online because uh, it does use, uh, it, it goes online to get the dictionary to make sure that it's getting words correctly. Okay, right, right, right. Cool. Well, let's talk about the selectors. So CSS3 selectors, why don't you um, talk about some of your favorite ones, some of the like less common ones that, uh, that you love because of their power. Um, I'm going to first talk about one that's well-supported, um, and it's not quite as exciting, but no one knows about it, and it's been around forever, which is the tilde. So most people know that if you do like UL space LI, it'll get the child of mm -hmm. an LI. Right. And if you do the greater than sign, that LI has to be the direct child of that UL. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't know the greater than sign, um, which is called a combinator. Um, then 
there's two other symbols. There's the plus sign and the tilde. So if you do UL greater than LI plus LI, it will be the LI that comes directly after the that LI. So it's a, 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 it's the adjacent sibling. It is the next child. I mean, mm -hmm. the next sibling. If you change that plus sign, which most people do know the plus sign, to mm -hmm. a tilde, it means any LI that comes after it that's also a sibling. So it's an adjacent sibling selector. Oh, okay. So that's one of the ones where people are like, wow, I didn't know that. I'm like, yeah, it's been around since 2003. Um, I'm, I don't know if it's 2003, but it's been around since at least 2005. Mm -hmm. um, then some of my... And is that supported in what, IE8? And up or it's I seven. Let me just double check. I seven. Let me double check. Um, I just crashed my browsers, so it's going to take forever <laughs> to check. So I'm not going to check. But okay. um, if you go to standardestat.com and mm -hmm. then click on CSS three and selectors, there's actually a grid of selector support. So you could tell me because you can get to my website faster than I can. Right. So how about some other CSS? I'll look this up. Tell us about some um, so there's nth of type, mm -hmm. and nth child, and nth last of type, and nth. Um, so you can say basically nth of type, and then you can put a parameter in there. And there's two key terms. There's even and odd. So if you want to stripe a table, you can just say nth of type odd, background color gray, and then every, um, if you put that on a TR, every odd table row would be gray. And then let's say you update the DOM or you sort, you don't have to add classes back in. It's it's there for you. And that's supported since IE9. Unfortunately, IE8 did not figure out how to do that. Right. Um, and so those parameters that you can put through, the argument that you can pass through, you can use odd and even, or you can do like nth of type three, and it'll just hit the third one. Or you could do nth of type three n, and it would hit every third one. Or you could do nth of type 3n plus 8, and it would hit the 8th, the 11th, the 14th, the 17th, the 20th, and don't, I can't do math higher than 12. <laughs> I only have 10 figures and 10 toes. Right. Um, so those are really powerful. And what's kind of interesting is you can actually do it, it's uh, less performant because um, it first has to find the last one. But you can do it from the last of type. So you can do nth last of type um, 3n. So it starts from the bottom and counts up three. And what's really cool with the nth of type one, nth last of type three, is since you can put attributes, uh, you can put selectors together, you can put more than one on an element, um, you can actually figure out how many elements you have using CSS alone. So instead of using like the DOM uh, JavaScript to count, right. if you want to, you know, if you decide that, let's say our layout is, has just one LI, make that 100% wide. If mm -hmm. it has two, let's make it 50% wide. If it has three, let's make it 33 and a third percent wide. <laughs> oh, nice. You used to do that. Now you can do um, LI nth of type three colon LI nth last of type um, one, so if it's the third mm -hmm. and it's only three, then you uh -huh. make it 33%. <laughs> so that's, that's kind cool. of like esoteric and yeah. um, I don't know if the listeners can follow along because that's kind of confusing, but there's an example of that in my selectors talk if you want to go to my GitHub. Oh, that's nice. Well, I think it's really cool if you want to do like responsive web design you just need to have things be flexible and just yeah, it's kind of a, a stopgap measure while Flexbox um, waits mm -hmm. to be fully supported everywhere. Yeah. So the tilde selector is all the way back to IE7. All right. All right, cool. So um, I know that you know, there's some advocates advocates of like uh, object-oriented CSS where it seems like, um, and I may be misinterpreting this, but you know, a lot of people say, well, you know, you shouldn't really rely on any structure of your HTML, which using selectors kind of how your uh, some of these selector elements that you're or, or selector types that you're suggesting really ha uh, require knowledge of the structure of your HTML for them to work. Um, so the OOCSS people are excited. Well, we'll just use classes on everything. 
decouple our our design completely from the HTML. Um, what do you think of of that approach? Um, I've never looked that deeply into object-oriented CSS because my take, and I'm not saying this is for anyone else, but I already knew how to do layouts so fast that it's always been faster for me to hand code mm -hmm. than to use someone else's library. So I'm not mm -hmm. saying libraries are bad. I'm just saying I never found the need for them. Um, right. You know, because I have my own uh, reset that I've been using, and I also do like the HTML5 boilerplate one. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm not saying there's anything wrong with them. It's just uh, I haven't looked into Bootstrap or OOCSS. But I'm not sure if that's actually their argument because when you say nth of type odd, mm -hmm. you don't need to know the structure of your HTML. You just need to know that you're going to have many of something. Right, right. Um, and by saying that you're decoupling the HTML from your, your CSS, if you have to add classes on everything, mm -hmm, yeah. then you're not decoupling. On the contrary, you're, you're requiring an understanding of what your HTML looks like because mm -hmm. you have to put classes on something. So with my thought is with these selectors, you really don't need to know what your exact layout is going to be because you don't need to know if you're going to have 27 rows or if mm -hmm. you're going to have 55. Right. Um, but what's cool about these selectors is, you know, you just say, hey, if this, is, if this navigation is in my aside, make it look this way. If it's not in my aside make it look the default way. Mm -hmm. Right, right, um, yeah. So I'm not sure if that's conflicting with you. Um, I would think it's in, in line with object-oriented CSS, but I can't tell you because I've never looked at object-oriented CSS. Cool. Well, uh, let's talk a little bit about performance in CSS3 because I know you've talked about that, and um, especially in the mobile space, I think you know quite a bit about that. Do you want to talk, uh, could you explain a little bit about uh, how well, first off, CSS3 supported in the mobile world and any performance issues associated with CSS3? Well, it's, my, the reason I talk a lot about performance and performance in mobile in particular is because most of the, the talk in performance has been dealing with input and output. How do you get the, um, you know, the website onto the device. And that's really important. And that's a huge chunk of, you know, of what makes your compute, your, your application not load. I mean, if you're not getting onto the device, if you have many HTTP requests, then it's going to take a long time to load. And that's not good because you don't want to have your user sitting there with a blank screen. But what people aren't thinking about, because it's really not an issue with desktop, is how long does a repaint and reflow take. Now, no one's been worrying about repaints. We've always been worrying about reflows because reflows are expensive. Mm -hmm. But when it comes to animation, repainting needs to be something we look at because you want something to update in 16 milliseconds or less or else it becomes laggy when you're doing an animation because an animation is about 60 frames per second. Mm -hmm. So if it takes longer to paint your screen than 16 milliseconds, your animation's not going to look good. Do you like? Do you understand why? Does that make sense? Sure. Why um, don't you tell tell us why? Well, um, let me just reiterate it then. Um, so, like, like, let's say you're making a snowflake fall from top to bottom. Mm -hmm. If your snowflake is, um, you know, this huge uh, PNG. That's four megabytes that takes the page 22 seconds to, to paint onto the page. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you're animating it. So, um, you know, you're using transitions. So it's not even reflowing. It's just repainting is taking too long. Mm -hmm. right, uh, right. And so it's going to be jumpy because it's not going to be able to repaint in time. Um, and then another thing that you have to worry about with mobile is memory management. So let's say you have that radial gradient that uses up a lot of memory. And most people think a radial gradient is just two lines of CSS. And it is just two lines of CSS. It's really easy to write, but it takes up a lot of memory because the browser is painting every single pixel of that radial gradient. 
So if you do like a solid blue circle on a transparent background, that's easy enough because mm -hmm. it doesn't have to measure what's behind it. It just does solid right. blue, um, solid colors. But if you are doing a um, transparency, it has to figure out, it has to calculate what the colors are going to be. So if you have multiple background images, it first draws the back, the last background image, the one on the bottom, mm -hmm. right. and then draws what's on top of it and then what's on top of that and what's on top of that because they don't you know you the browser doesn't know if there's going to be a transparent pixel like 16 transparent pixels one on top of the other mm -hmm. right so needs to know what that background pixel was in the first place so uh when i was uh, freelancing at apple i was sending all these transparent pixels that weren't even being seen and i'm like um i thought i had an infinite a loop in my JavaScript and I debugged JavaScript one time uh -huh. for six hours because my browser on my desktop was crashing. Huh. And it was, in fact, I was animating an inset shadow on an element that in the end was never seen. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so um, I talk about that example just so that I can save everyone else time. But uh, people need to realize that if you're creating a radial gradient, like a linear gradient is pretty easy. It, it paints mm -hmm. it and then repeats it. Right. So it's just drawing it once and then repeating it. Uh, if you're drawing a radial gradient and uh, you're using uh, for this corner mm -hmm. um, and you're, the center is in the, the other corner, well, it's that radial gradient is four times, it's more than four times the size of your screen. Right, right. And... Memory in mobile devices, you know, I have the, my original iPhone was 128, something like that. Mm -hmm. um, my, I actually, I don't know my current cell phone. My last one was pretty good at 768 megs, um, but I haven't had a, a phone that's over a gig. Right. And my computer has 16 gigs of RAM. Mm -hmm. So when I'm developing on desktop, I'm not seeing, I'm not having to worry about memory management. But if I'm on a phone, even if it has one gig, right. which none of my devices do, um, it's running the operating system on that. It's running the calendar. It's running the phone. It's uh, running Facebook. It's running mm -hmm. Twitter. Um, all these all these applications that are giving me notifications are still sure. running. Right. Yeah. Plus, it's running the browser. And then on top of that, it's running your application, your, your web app. So that's what people, um, it's our job as developers to worry about these things mm -hmm. because the user's not thinking about that. The user knows if they're like, uh, that's another issue, battery. The user knows that they're using their GPS and the screen's on and mm -hmm. the little lady is telling you to, to, to make a left in 300 yards um, even, though the, um, even though the turn is in 200 yards and you just mm -hmm. missed it. Um, right. They know that that's using up your battery. Yeah. But it's... Um, they don't think that your, uh, you know, your Wikipedia is using up your battery or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but when you're processing JavaScript, you're using up the CPU and the CPU is draining the battery. So in terms of gradients, um, yeah. are, are you saying that uh, if you have a radial gradient, the, the browser actually has to paint or at least calculate outside of the, the box that it's the background of? So it takes up more memory? When you are, um, when you're, uh, in most browsers, when you are developing, when you're presenting something in a mobile browser, and I assume it's desktop too, though I've never looked at the desktop, um, it paints the whole gradient because it doesn't know if you're going to mm. animate that center of that gradient. Ah, uh, right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it doesn't know what you're going to do with it. So it, it puts the whole thing there. Um, and, you know, when we're thinking about desktop or when we're thinking about input output and getting your website onto a device, whether it's a computer or a mobile device, we're thinking, mm -hmm. oh, let's gzip. You know, let's gzip this video. It'll be tiny. Um, we'll send it over the wires. What people aren't thinking is that when it gets to the other end, it expands back to its original size. Right, right. Um, so that's using up memory. Mm -hmm. Similarly, when you're just drawing an image like when you're using border image or when you're using um, gradients or SVG, you're thinking, oh, it's only these three lines of HTML, you know, of CSS, or in the case of S SVG, it's 12 lines of, um, you know, of text. 
but the your browser is actually drawing that and sticking the whole thing in memory. Right. You know, it creates a bitmap out of it. Yeah. So, so in yeah. terms of some concrete recommendations for mobile and let's just start with gradients. Would you say radio gradients you should be careful of because they are they will take up more memory and are difficult more difficult to draw than a linear gradient? What I tell people during my presentation is I'm not, I never say don't use anything. You know, mm -hmm. everything is there um, as a tool. Right. But you don't want to take a chainsaw to, you know, a toothpick. Um, you're, that was just the worst analogy I've ever come up with in my entire life. Um, I kind of liked it. It was very vivid. <laughs> I still have it in my mind. <laughs> there's no more toothpick left. Right. There's no more toothpick. So what I'm saying is, you know, you can use radial gradients, but realize that they are memory hogs. Uh -huh. So if you're doing a tiny, like, little circle yeah. on a button, do a tiny little circle on a button. But when I hit the first time I tried a radial gradient on a, on a you know, because obviously I'm going to screw up the first time I ever try anything. Um, <laughs> you know, there was just the designer had given me this tiny little curve at the top of the page. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely hate Photoshop, um, fireworks, and any other image editing applica application. I just want to, like, for me, native CSS is the way to go. So I'm like, it was this tiny little curve so it was like this 8,000, uh, the radius of the circle was like 8,000 pixels. So mm -hmm. I create this 8,000 pixel radial gradient, which immediately crashed my browser. I mean, it wasn't <laughs> even like, sorry, we're going to try to work. It's kind of like, nope, we're not doing this, sorry. Um, so that's, you know, that was a quick way to discover it, but not that many people are going to fail so you know, so gloriously like me, most people are going to put, you know, an 800 pixel gradient, which the browser can handle, mm -hmm. unlike my 8,000 um, pixel gradient. <laughs> um, maybe your browser can handle 800, but you don't realize mm -hmm. that it's using up all this memory and not leaving room for much else. Right. So it's just, I try to tell people, you know, be wary of these things. Like no one thinks there's another one that's, it's never going to crash your browser, but it is going to use up memory, which is mm -hmm. using small fonts. When you use a font that's really tiny, you mm -hmm. usually bring it up, you know, make it large. Mm -hmm. Like, uh, uh, I don't know the name of any fonts because I'm not a graphic designer, but you'll bring a font up to 60 pixels because right. it'll make it look like it's 18 pixels. And it's actually drawing that whole thing. So you're using up, your line height is now 60 pixels instead of 14 pixels. And so it, it's as if it was drawing a picture that was 60 mm -hmm. pixels high. So you're mm -hmm. using up a little bit more memory. That itself is never going to crash your browser, but you're putting that with your 800 pixel gradient, radial gradient, um, and your inset, your animated inset shadow, and you're kind of screwed. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I mean, in general, gradients are safe to use in the mobile, for mobile devices, just you have to be cautious of certain right. things, of them being too big, taking up too much memory. How about um, animations? How how are they in the mobile? Like, let's compare and contrast, uh, you know, CSS animations versus, uh, you know, JavaScript-based animations. Is there a performance difference between those two approaches to animating? You always want to use CSS animations when you can because uh, JavaScript animations uses more CPU and drains the battery. Uh -huh. um, and because you're using um, JavaScript um, Animation is the lowest priority on the UI thread, and JavaScript, I believe, is the highest priority on the UI thread. So your your you know animations you usually want that as a background effect. Mm -hmm. you, you know what I mean? Like it's not your main thing that you're doing on your website. Uh, mm -hmm. You don't want to stop the user from being able to press a button. So if you're animating with JavaScript, then the UI is on hold. If you're animating with CSS, the UI is not on hold. And that's kind of an exaggeration because when you're animating, it's really taking, you know, like two milliseconds or whatever. So you're, you can probably still, when you do a set timeout, your button click will be able to get onto that UI thread. Um, but your browser is developed, um, you know, animation is what the browser, um, CSS animation is what the browser is supposed to be doing, not animating with JavaScript. And generally when you're, most people, when they animate with, um, JavaScript, they're causing uh, reflows. 
I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. Right. Um, and usually when you're animating with CSS, you're, you're not. Um, it's just because that's how people usually tend to animate. Um, you know, they'll animate with CSS, with JavaScript, they'll mm-hmm. change the height. So it'll have to reflow, 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 reflow. When you animate with CSS, you're usually scaling. Um, mm-hmm. So it's just repeating. Um, and you'll see, if you test both, you'll see that the performance and the battery usage of um, CSS animation is less than JavaScript uh-huh. animation. But I'm not saying yep. that I'm not saying that JavaScript uh, CSS animation doesn't drain battery. Um, yeah. It depends what you're animating. Right. Now, now like one of the limits oh, one of the limitations of you know transition CSS transition CSS animations is we have kind of a limited. Uh, toolkit for triggering those, you know, we have basically uh, these pseudo selectors like hover or, um, you know, focus. Um, and hover doesn't really work in mobile, at least doesn't I seem to. I think we're talking right. about transitions rather than animations. Okay. Because uh, transitions, you usually, um, uh, you know, animations. There's a there's a, an, a JavaScript API that actually goes along with it. There's mm-hmm. uh, so you can actually there's an event when an animation ends, and at every iteration right. and when mm-hmm. an animation begins. So right. I trigger all of my animations um, by just changing a class with JavaScript. Okay. So uh-huh. like when I said that animation is the lowest um, priority on the UI thread. Let's say you're loading up a page and it has 27 different animations and they each start a second um, apart. So one starts at zero seconds, one starts at one second, one starts at two seconds. Um, let's say your, your mobile page takes eight seconds between downloading everything and, and the uh, uh, body onload event. So your first eight animations have these delays that have already expired but the animation hasn't started yet. So you're going to get first eight animations that are happening at the exact same time. Um, So what I do is on on load, I change the class name of the page to loaded. Mm -hmm. And then I base the animations to start on loaded. And there is is, um, an animation, CSS provides us with the animation play state of paused. So you either have animation play state of running or animation play state of pause. And so all you have to do is change the class from, um, you know, change the, the, the property via class right. from um, pause to running. And then you're good to go. Right. So that's one little snippet of JavaScript instead of 400 lines of JavaScript to get your animation running. Right, great. So you use JavaScript, but mainly as a mechanism for triggering and controlling the animations, not for the actual animation, not the actual moving right, I, things across. Yeah, you know, I like when I was at Apple, I was working on a team of we were three people, and we would do like the same thing because communication's not always the best. You know, like we're actually hitting the same thing, and my coworkers would like end up with like five hundred lines of JavaScript, and I'd have three lines of JavaScript because right. I triggered everything. All I did was do class name change, mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. everything else was CSS. Right. Um. And then we ended up usually doing 75% of it my way and 25% of it their way because I would do stupid stuff, like put a gradient that was 8,000 pixels wide. Um, <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. but, but the performance was, um, you know, like I was hitting a lot of performance issues and they were hitting a lot of performance issues. But my performance issues were easier to fix. Uh-huh. Like I just thought, oh, let's use a JPEG mm-hmm. sprite. Don't use a JPEG sprite. I mean, you can if it's small, but yeah. realize that like if you're doing a background image for the full screen, mm-hmm. don't create a, a sprite out of that because for you know something that's four times as wide as your full screen, mm-hmm. um, right. especially if you're dealing with high DPI, you've just shot the memory of your mm. of your app because hmm. it is painting that whole um, thing in memory and it's just showing part of it. It is really wow. I, okay, yeah. well that's good to know. So does that mean, you know, you should keep your sprites limited if if at all when you're developing um, on mobile? Or It's actually interesting. I, I don't, there was just a discussion a few weeks ago whether sprites um, 
are better than individual images versus data URIs. And I don't know what the answer was because I'm not the type of person that sits with the, like, that does tons and tons of testing. I'm right. more of an anecdotal performance mm -hmm. person than a, than a tester. Um, so I was interested in hearing what the solution was. Yeah. Um, so like, let's say, you know, your Twitter app, your Twitter app, you have like 5,000 people following you and you're following 400 people and those 400 people are retweeting each two other people. So that's tons and tons of avatars, right? Mm -hmm. There's no way that Twitter could send you a sprite with the 20,000 avatars that you might get in a single day. Right, right. Um, and there's not much of a way for them to know which, you know, if they do send you a sprite with a 20 that you need for this screen, they can't reuse that for the next screen, right? Because they don't know who, who's going to be, like, if you add 20 more mm -hmm. tweets, right. that sprite's no longer valid. Um, so that would be a good place of using data URIs. You send a data URI with every um, tweet for that little avatar. Instead of, because you're already sending the, 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 the JSON response of, uh, I assume it's JSON, of um, what the tweet is, the time mm -hmm. and everything else, mm -hmm. just put the data URI. That way it's only one HTTP request for the next 20. Otherwise it would be 21, one for the text and then 20 for the each, um, each avatar. Right. So you're reducing the HTTP request by doing a data URI. But let's say you have, you know, 60... Uh, fave icons that you're using because you're doing a rating system and you're showing Travelocity rated this a four, Yelp rated this a three, Google rated this a five, um, and you're going to be using that over and over again. Mm -hmm. I think it makes sense to use um, uh, a sprite for that right. rather than yeah. data URI um, because it's still a small icon. Mm -hmm. uh, but if you are Bing and you have, you know how Bing has a single background image for the whole page. If you're doing, right, you know, today yeah. it's a snowflake, tomorrow it's a mountain, um, the day after it's a stream, mm -hmm. those are huge images. You don't want to sprite for that. Right, so you right. just basically, there's, in, in, in web development, you'll notice that there's many different ways of doing things. There's some things that are good ideas. There's something that are bad ideas. But there isn't much that's either right or wrong. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's basically go for the good idea. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yes. It's problem is finding that. Now, yeah. um, talking about mobile and performance issues, are there other CSS related performance issues that um, people need to look out for when it comes to mobile development? Um, I'm trying to think. I can't think today. Thinking's hard. <laughs> how, about, uh, how about web fonts? Are web fonts an issue? Oh, yeah. So so I talked about web fonts in terms of the size. Um, another thing with web fonts is people, you know, they love web fonts. It's like, oh, this is beautiful. Um, if you look at my blog, there's a web font for the word standardista. And if I were to, if I wanted, it's the only time I use the font. Uh -huh, right. So it's one word. Um, it has, I think, eight different letters in it. I'm not sure. I can't remember. Um, someone can count who was who able to think today. Um, so there's no reason for me to, you know, whether I, I, that I show that website in the United States or France, Germany, or um, in Iran, or in Greece, or in China, it's still going to say standardista. I'm not, never going to translate the word standardista into a different mm -hmm. language or character set. Right. Um, so there's no reason for me if I want, but someone might look at it big and, and small. Um, yeah. So maybe I want different font sizes, but I don't need more than eight characters. So if I'm going to include a font file just for that word, there's no reason for me to include more than eight characters. Right. So I don't need to include the question mark. I don't need to include the A with the tilde on it. And I don't need to include the letter Q. So what's happening is people are like, oh, I want to send, you know, I really like this font because it has a really nice ampersand. Well, if you're only using it for the ampersand, only include the ampersand. 
Yeah. And um, Font Squirrel, when you do the advanced settings, actually lets you to do custom subsetting. So right. you can pick one character or seven characters. Right. Um, and then your font file will be tiny. And that's fine. Uh, you are doing the extra HTTP request. Uh, but if you needed that font, you needed that font. And, and what about gzipping? Does that help at all? Or? It, help, it helps you uh, gzipping. Gzipping is really good for improving performance on input and output, setting things over the wires. Mm -hmm. But once it gets to your browser, it gets deflated. So it's still the original size. So when it comes to web fonts, you know, Arial already has every single character. It's like um, Times New Roman. It has like 10,000, and I'm making numbers. I'm pulling them out of my tushy. But it has like 10,000. Ten, it's like 10,000 characters. It, it right. shows simplified Chinese. It shows Hebrew. It shows whatever. Right. Um, use those if you can. Right. And if you just are doing your tagline, only include the, the characters because you always have to realize that it's not just the extra HTTP request, but it's mm -hmm. the memory. Um, mm -hmm. If you're sending this huge font file to a, a, a device that has, you know, two gigs of of storage available, not even, and a quarter gig of RAM, um, not even available. Because my 768 um, megs of RAM device with all of the, the, the day I turned it on, which meant I had not turned open any applications, it had 223 megs available. Hmm. Because a half a gig was being used to run the device and the calendar and the phone and everything else. Um, so always think of memory management and battery management. <clears throat> right. And you and, can use a service like Font Squirrel, their app Font Face Generator, where you can just yeah. set and, the code, and, just the characters right. you want, and it will just give you those. Right. So, so is it, is it, is most it, people just use Font Squirrel just to create the font files that they need, mm -hmm. but Font Squirrel does so much more. It's actually a really amazing um, little widget that they have there. Right. It does allow you to do custom subsetting. Right. Well, so, so if it's just your tagline, yeah. just use the characters of your tagline. But if you have a huge presence in China, remember that you need to include the Chinese character set, not just the um, you know A through Z. Uh, but you know, don't. There's no reason to include wingdings. Um, you know, like language, hmm. uh, like Times New Roman. Wingdings is its own character set. But Times New Roman has things that I call. Wingdings, they're not really wingdings because uh, that's a different font. But it has mm -hmm. arrows, it has squares, it has circles, it has a smiley face. If you're not going to use that in any of your website, don't include that in your font um, file. Shrink your font file. So, right. like, so in addition to the shrinking uh, font files, um, <coughs> is there also a uh, with with Retina images for like you know for Retina displays and iris displays? Um, you know, that, that increases the image size. And so people are, one way method of dealing with that is to like, people are looking into is like making these really large images, but compressing the heck out of them and, and squeezing them and stretching them out. Is there any like memory performance issue hits with having, even though they're compressed and they're really small files in comparison, is there an issue with having these really large uh, images for, for a mobile delivery? Um. Christopher Schmidt, you probably know more about that than I do, because oh. um, I know this is your baby, um, and it's not necessarily mine. But in my experience, I was, you know, I, I have sent, you know, when you send something to an old Android device mm -hmm. versus a new iPhone um, that has high retina, um, high DPI, mm -hmm. it's four times the size. Right. So, do you want to send the um, that four times the size image to the um, to my HTC. I I'm now have a Galaxy, but I have no clue what the I need to look at the specs of my Galaxy. Um, to the HTC Inspire. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? The HTC Inspire actually has more memory oh. than the iPhone four had. So yeah, you could have. Yeah. Um, no need to, but you could have because yeah. the memory would have actually been able to handle it better. But yeah. but the thing is, when you're dealing with such high images. Then, or large images, you have to realize that you it's harder to use sprites then because your sprite is now four times the size as well. Um, 
So what's interesting, it depends if you're animating it or not. So let's say you send this huge image um, over the wires. Um, and so you're dealing with the memory of that and you've compressed it so there's not much memory usage. But what happens is it takes, let's say, 12 milliseconds to paint, um, which 12 milliseconds is a long time if you're animating. But if you're, it's the background image of your Bing page, fine. You're not going to be changing your, the background image. So the 12 seconds there is not an issue. You know, 12 milliseconds, rather, is not an issue. So you see, like, you have to weigh the pros and cons. But then if you're using um, background um, uh, background size, so uh, one of the new properties in CSS3, which is so vital when it comes to um, high DPIs, is uh, back, the size of your background image. Oh. Because when you're sending a, a picture for a high DPI phone, it's actually four times the size of the viewport, and you need to squeeze it. So you need to tell it, you know, make it, 320 um, by 480 or whatever. Um, so you use background size. So it, it paints it once at full size in memory, basically, and then paints it at the new size. So it's taking 24 milliseconds mm -hmm. to paint it, which seems like a long time, but if you're only doing it once, that's fine. You just can't animate it. Right. You see what I mean? Because like then animating it, it'll mm. take 12 milliseconds to paint it every single time you animate yeah, right, right. it. And that's where you're hitting a problem. So you really have to think of I have this huge image. Is this a good idea or a bad idea? Well, if you're planning on animating a huge image, it's a bad idea. And by animating, if you're just fading in and fading out, whatever. But if you're moving it, um, that's a, a major issue. Now, uh, to switch gears a little bit, let's move to HTML5 because you have this book out, uh, Mobile HTML5. And maybe you could talk a little bit about uh, what is it in HTML5 that's so useful for uh, mobile devices? Um, what, what's so cool with HTML5 and mobile devices is that all mobile devices that people are using to access stuff um, support HTML5. Mm -hmm, right. So, yes, there's a lot of older devices that are out there, but those people aren't surfing the web um, in the United States with um, their... Uh, the razor, right. you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So, so what are in particular? What are some of the most exciting HTML five um, uh, elements that are you know things that you you think are great for mobile? Um, so let me go back to my favorite, which is HTML five web forms, which you should be using right away. No need to wait because it's mm -hmm. progressive enhancement, um, and so it makes your desktop forms wonderful as well as your um, mobile. But um, when it comes to input and output, you do want to reduce the, um, the times that you're hitting the server. And you also want to make, if you're doing a web application, you do want it to be available offline. So there's local storage, mm -hmm. there's session storage, there's application cache. Um, and while we wait for IndexedDB to be fully supported, most, like 99%, and I'm make, again pulling numbers out of my tushy, 99% um, of mobile websites that people use in the United States support WebSQL because all WebKit browsers support WebSQL. Uh, the only two that don't are Firefox and IE10, I think. Mm -hmm. I'd have to go to Can I Use. Let me just go to Can I Use quickly. Saying something quickly is never fast on my computer. <laughs> Okay, um, and it is WebSQL. So WebSQL works on um, Opera, iOS, Safari, the Android browser since forever, as well as BlackBerry browser. It just doesn't work on Opera Mini, but it's not expected to work on Opera Mini. Right. So WebSQL doesn't work in Firefox or IE, but as you know, well know, they don't have that much of the mobile um, browser market. So you can actually, basically, you have... Um, uh, so let me just uh, step back for our listeners. Mm -hmm. uh, WebSQL has been deprecated, and it will never be fully supported, and it is no longer in the specifications. But it's unlikely to be pulled from the devices that have it, especially until um, you know all the computers are supporting IndexedDB, mm -hmm. uh, which means once we get rid of um, IE7, 8, and 
nine completely. So I think WebSQL is going to be on these mobile devices for a long time. So that's really um, cool. But I am looking forward to IndexedDB, even though it's a um, much more difficult um, spec to implement. Yeah. Um, and so that's as a who, who supports IndexedDB. Is there any, any devices that do that now? Um, IndexedDB in terms of mobile, uh, just um, with prefix BlackBerry 10. How about on desktop? On desktop, we're at Chrome, Firefox, and IE 10. And it's actually unprefixed um, as well in those browsers. Uh -huh. But it's, it's a convoluted syntax for me. I, I found WebSQL to be so easy. But then, of course, mm -hmm. I know SQL. So. Right. Uh, but Firefox... Um, Mozilla was um, opposed to supporting it, and so was um, IE. And uh, Mozilla was originally because it's a new language that what people would have to learn. Um, uh -huh. And I think IE was basically like, this is a proprietary software, and we're not going to use someone else's software or something like that. I'm I'm not sure exactly what the argument was, but it was um, it was basically two browsers. If one browser says no, right. then never going to be fully it's supported. And, uh, <laughs> they were hoping to change Firefox's mind, but when IE said no to, then it was like, okay, forget it. Yeah. So uh, what are you working on these days? I'm actually finishing that HTML5, um, mobile HTML5 book. I have uh, four more chapters to write. So I'm hoping that will come out in May. Uh -huh. And then after that, I am working on HTML5, the definitive guide. Wow, Excellent. And I am doing a lot of, um, last year was a little bit crazy, so I'm hoping not to do as many. Um, oh. I did 37 talks last year. <laughs> uh, so I'm hoping to do fewer this year. Mm -hmm. And I'm only set up right now to do eight between now and February. May. Oh. <laughs> I haven't done any this year. I haven't done any in like five weeks it's like withdrawals or something i actually after my last talk um on the 17th i just i like slept for three days i'm like it was everything for the year it just finally hit me yeah. so i'm trying to do fewer talks this year but um i really like to travel so um if you want me to you know do a talk and i want to go to barcelona <laughs> uh greece any of the um islands Thailand, India. If you live someplace where I'd like to travel to, <laughs> please let me know. Um, if you wanted to talk me to do a talk in Nebraska, I'm Don't so bother. sorry, but I'm busy that weekend. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Nebraska, but you're the state I make fun of. Um, and I've also been doing uh, workshops. So I'm doing my CSS workshop actually next week in Austin. Um, but I've... I do this uh, a workshop called uh, CSS3 from Novice to Ninja. And it's actually f for people who think they're kind of close to being ninjas. And I show them that they're actually just novices. There's <laughs> <laughs> an uplifting talk for everyone. Yeah. Uh, you learn a lot, but you realize how much there is to know. Right. It's, you know, it's kind of like those selectors you thought you knew everything. And yeah. then you're like, oh, my God, I, you know, I, was, I didn't realize all these other things. Um, and there's a lot of performance um, intertwined in that um, and mobile, you know, concerns intertwined in that talk. So um, I was able to give that talk in that workshop in New Zealand, Hawaii, and Bath in the UK last year. So that is why talking is worthwhile because you get to go to really cool places. <laughs> um, uh, but if, you know, if any of the listeners, if they have a business and they want me to come in and do the tutorial, that is um, kind of what I've been doing um, and also still freelancing. I'm freelancing at SurveyMonkey at the moment and have a few other clients and writing and teaching and speaking. Right. Um, and also uh, there's another thing that I've been doing, which is uh, I don't have one set up right now, but I do a series of workshops, did a series of workshops. I did three full day workshops last year called Confident Coding. And um, it's kind of like the opposite of ninja coding or cowboy coding. There's a lot of people who are excellent developers and they don't realize that they are. So I do a, a session um, on stuff that 
people just assume that you need to know, or like people assume that you know, even though no one ever teaches you. So uh, uh, the first two workshops were full days uh, JavaScript workshops, and people came in. I gave them uh, stickers. If they were novices, medium, or advanced, they got red, which meant, you know, talk to me like I'm an idiot. Um, yellow which meant, you know, I've programmed before, but I haven't programmed in a while. And green was like, oh, this is just a refresher course for me. And I'd say 70% of the people picked the red button. Mm-hmm. And I'd say 20% twenty percent uh, of the people who picked the red at the end of the day were like, oh, can I be a tutor next time? This was really easy. And I'm like, if this was really easy for you, then why is JavaScript not on your resume? Because we went from, you know, variable declaration to DOM manipulation in one day. So it was like a really speedy class, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was all vanilla JS. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were like, I get this. I already knew this. Um, you know, I already knew about variable hoisting. I'm like, if you, knew, if you know var- what variable hoisting means, mm-hmm. um, you probably are better than a lot of JavaScript developers out there. Mm-hmm. It should be on your resume. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, and mostly it's to target because of people with imposter syndrome. So we end up having, uh, you know, 95% of the attendees end up being women. And it's just, you know, they don't associate themselves with ninja or cowboy, but they're just as good. They just don't promote themselves and they, you know, the imposter syndrome. So it's overcoming imposter syndrome. Um, And the third workshop we did was um, called um, Everything You Need to Know. So uh, we did Git what the HTTP request lifecycle looks like, um, some command line, you know, like uh, modifying your bash file so that you don't have to re-enter the same lines every single time, um, and introduction to performance. So it's all the things that, you know, no one ever told you about. Like, no one ever told you that you can edit the bash file. Like, do you remember when you were told that you could enter edit your bash file? Uh, I read it on a website somewhere. <laughs> um, yeah, but, like you, you, you were fortunate enough to, to find that no one's talking about those anymore, right? right? Because it's something we already all know, except for no, no one knows it. Um, so that's the type of uh, workshop that we ran. It was just really empowering and really wonderful. And so I hope to do a few more um, this year. But the problem with them is they're also really exhausting to organize. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, uh, please be thankful to everyone who organizes um, free community conferences because, you know, I organized the conference, the first one we sold out in uh, 21 hours. And then someone goes, um, will you have vegetarian options for lunch? And I was like, lunch? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> So then, you know, I had to find sponsors. I had found a space, you know, and I had the, the, you know, and I'm like, oh, that's all I need is a space, a projector. It's like, no, you need snacks, you need lunch, you need vegetarian options, you need name tags, um, et cetera, et cetera. So you need right. sponsors. So I spent more time finding sponsors than I did on my deck, um, and which made my deck fairly entertaining. Um <laughs> Um, Estelle, uh, we have to wrap up because we're running out of time here, but it's been great talking to you. How can people find you on the web? Where are good places to follow your, uh, career and interests? So I have my GitHub account, which, um, all of everything that we've talked about here today is there. And that's at estelle.github.com. I am a woman engineer, uh, with a fairly unique name. So I got my own name, which is kind of awesome. Awesome, that is awesome. <laughs> um, and then a Twitter, Estelle VW, like Volkswagen, although that's not really what it stands for on Twitter. And please do follow me because I am a Twitter whore. And um, and my blog is Standardista, and it's not really a blog; it's more of a resource. But uh, this year, one of my goals is to make it um, a little bit more active and a bit more of a blog, um, where I share a little bit more of my day-to-day um and those are the three best places to find me awesome well it's been great having you on and i've learned actually quite a bit about mobile development css3 so uh thanks again for sharing your knowledge with us and with our audience and we hope to talk to you again okay thank you bye-bye Our thanks to Estelle for joining us on Non-Breaking Space. 
As always, check out the show notes at nonbreakingspace.td for all links and sites discussed during the episode. We're also in the iTunes podcast listing, and we'd really appreciate if you subscribed, left a rating or a review. helps us spread the word about the show. You can follow us on Twitter at SSKTN and Facebook.com slash SSKTN. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. 